Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, here we go. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the Drew for the win. Gone. Oh! He did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the early week college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me today, Greg Waddell, as usual on Mondays, and Mike Randall, filling in for Mike Calabrese, who's a little under the weather. Appreciate you joining, Randall. We have a lot to get to today. We will talk the weekend that was, key takeaways, rants, anything, anywhere you want to go. Buy, sell this week, not a conference, but bubble teams. You can go anywhere in the country of teams that are fighting for their tournament lives. And then, of course, we'll go quickly around the horn style and give out a few spots that we're looking at for tonight's slate, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so before we get started, Greg, uh, how was the uh, how was the Super Bowl? It was great. It was thrilling. It was also like infuriating to watch these teams punt the ball and attempt a bunch of field goals, knowing that mad maniac Dan Campbell would have made this incredibly more fun to watch. So, look, I thought it was like both teams C game in the first half. Uh, it ended fun. I'm no football analyst. It, it The Super Bowl's fun. I'm ready to turn the page to college basketball. Uh, and I'm honestly ready to give people a primer of what to expect because that's what I learned this weekend, Stuck. I don't know that anybody's good in college basketball. I think we got Purdue. I think we got UConn. <laughs> I think that's it. I think if you watched college basketball last season and you tuned in after the Super Bowl, you probably noticed a very similar situation where everybody told us Purdue was great. Everybody told us Alabama was great. And then we got to March and it's the Sweet 16 and both have been bounced. So I don't know what to expect. I think there's going to be chaos. I think a lot of teams people think are really good. <clears throat> Kentucky, uh, not good at this point. Kansas survived without Kevin McCuller. That's another one. Shout out to Randall, who is going to make a Johnny Furphy-like performance after we called him off the bench tonight. He's no Nick Timberlake. But, uh, it, yeah, my takeaway is I don't think anybody's good in college basketball outside of Purdue and UConn, and I don't even know that I trust those teams in March. Nobody's good. Love it. Uh, I I agree. I think it's another chaotic March. It's the way we like it. Randall, uh, yeah, and I was speaking of the Super Bowl, I with Dan Campbell. Yeah, Dan Campbell would have went – 
I didn't read all of Shanahan's comments and didn't watch his press yet, but fourth and four at the nine in overtime playing Mahomes, uh, I would have I would love to know how much he considered going for it there. Because if you don't get it, the Chiefs aren't they don't have four downs every, like right there until they get to maybe the forty. Like you you can still get a stop there. Um and uh but yeah, Campbell definitely would have had a, a couple more. He's on the opposite end of the spectrum as far as aggressiveness compared to those two coaches. Uh, Randall, how was the Super Bowl for you? Yeah, it was fun. I uh, had family over, uh, got most of the bets right. The Kelsey under uh, slipped out of my hands at the very last second. But Ayuk, Patrick Mahomes running, death taxes and Mahomes running this year, guys. Set a record with rushing attempts and rushing yardage because his receivers can't get open. The only thing I thought would have been funny stuck is my overall investment in best ball and Sky Moore. I was positive that Sky Moore was going to find the end zone at some point just to come full circle. But great win for the Chiefs. You got to put a nail in them. And it's amazing how many people came out today. Niners did not know the rule in overtime, right? They thought they scored a touchdown and they won the game. So that's a big uh, fumble by the NFL. Yeah, uh, it was fun Super Bowl luck. Unfortunately, I I faded Mahomes. I can say I fa- successfully faded Mahomes in a Super Bowl uh, as an underdog. I just bet the Niners first half. I was too afraid to go against them for the full game. But I'm and by the way, I'm traveling down in Aruba, so if my sound is just a little off, that's why I apologize. But I was one second away from hitting double overtime, a hundred to one. I collapsed to the ground. When so Kelsey got tackled and I'm staring at the game clock and it was one second behind the play clock. So I knew they had a snap. And if it was one second the other way, the Chiefs 100 percent would have run it down. And then, you know, think about the next play. Go, I was one second away from 100 to one double overtime. So, um, yeah, I it, that was uh, painful, but a fun sweat. I can't complain too much because I had a Purdy under 12 and a half rushing yards and he was at 13 and then kneeled to go to overtime and ended 12. So uh, it's always a give and take, but let's uh, yeah, it's full turn to college basketball now from here on out. And before we know it, March will be here. I mean, in just like almost two weeks, just a little over two weeks, which is pretty crazy. Cannot wait conference tournament weekend and the NCAA tournament. So let's talk about the weekend that was key takeaways, rants, anywhere where you want to go with it. Greg, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, it's basically what I alluded to, but I'll drill into some specific teams that I'm frustrated with right now. I truly, not a bit, do not believe there's many good teams in the country this season. And I think there's a broader conversation to have at some point, maybe a year or two down the line of like, what's going on with this dip in overall performance across the sport for me? I think it probably has something to do with all these teams playing 23-year-olds that get an extra year due to the COVID year, and it's the the way it's become an open market, and we're just leasing guys for six months. Uh, I don't know. The sport is in a very strange space right now, and it, it, specifically in my territory, in the Big Ten, I've been told there's two teams that are quote-unquote contenders. As little as a week ago, people were trying to get me to consider Wisconsin as a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, They look horrible. They look horrible right now. They've lost four straight games. Uh, This is the same team, mind you, that was an NIT team last season, returned everybody, added A.J. Storr, but A.J. Storr just took Connor Asijan's place and – uh, yes, he's better than a Asijin. Don't get me wrong. There's no question. He's more athletic. He's quicker. But when you replace your 
most potent offensive weapon on the perimeter with a different potent offensive weapon and nothing else changes, your team build didn't really change much. And I think we're seeing that right now as they lose at Michigan and at Rutgers, blown out at the rack by a Rutgers team that is not going to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'm really unimpressed with them. And then Illinois, the other one of the Big Ten boys, you can't blame them too much for going on the route and losing to Michigan State. But I, I can blame them for how they lost to Michigan State. I mean, an eight-point lead with five minutes left in that game, and the ball just stops. I mean, yeah, their offense in, in end-game scenarios it gets ugly at times. It's it's gross, and I, I'm trying to diagnose it. I think it's largely because they don't have a true point guard. One, they put Ty Rogers on the bench. He's the the pseudo point guard for this team. But Terrence Shannon Jr. The the special things about Terrence Shannon are. Wow, just get him the ball in transition and watch him go coast to coast. When they're trying to kill clock, when they're trying to hold the lead, you don't use those talents at all. It turns into some ball stopping, guys just standing and watching. So, yeah, am I yeah, frustrated about ends up it? taking bad, bad shots, like just hoisting yeah. from threes. Yep. Yeah, it's gross. So, I look, this is why I'm resentful this morning. I think it's my team's doing this to me. But uh, I, I'm i just selling a lot of the country right now outside of Purdue and UConn. And as a fan of the sport, it kind of scares me. Yeah, Greg, the Lions fan, two weeks of non-Lions coverage, non-Lions in the Super Bowl comes out uh, salty on this uh, Monday morning as expected. Randall, what do you got from the weekend? Yeah, besides the obvious with Kentucky, and look, I know that there's some buyout or there's something where Calipari can transition into the athletic director position, but guys, he is a let's-go guy. He has never been a tactician, and that's been exposed. Three straight losses at home. He usually banked on accumulating talent. The running joke I had years ago is he had 36 stars worth of recruits. That's five five stars and two four stars, whatever the combination was. And in the end, they just cannot now stop anyone. And it's a huge, huge problem. The other issue is what was even more damning is teams just cannot win on the road now in college basketball. Late in the year, teams are jockeying for position, trying to get into March Madness. It is impossible to win on the road, which is what makes Gonzaga's win even more damning at Kentucky. You saw Auburn get to go to Florida, get absolutely destroyed. Arizona, who we all thought was going to suffer against Colorado, somehow fights and gets the win. And Washington State even wins on the road at Oregon. So what I'm noticing is if you're able to get a road win in conference, even Houston, who won at Cincinnati but did not cover five and a half, that is really impressive. So you have to start with the fact of, can this team possibly win on the road? And the thing we have to remember, when you get to March Madness, those are neutral sites. So you're going to look at a lot of these losses, like Greg brought up Wisconsin, a lot of them at Nebraska, at Rutgers, they can possibly get it going again because now we're going to neutral sites. But winning on the road is impossible, which is why when it happens, it's really eye-opening. Terrible weekend for Kentucky. Yeah, speaking of Kentucky, it's, you know, like if, say, Patino was there, Oh, and by the way, my rant is St. John's, uh, not covering. I have eight and a half. Uh, missed their last seven layups. And Tyler Kolick just puts a dagger in my eye with a step back 30 footer when St. John's just had conceded the game um, to win by 11. And St. John's couldn't make a layup to save their life. It was just a slow, cruel death from up 15. But instead, I had Patino, like, okay, you know that your team can't defend. And it's multiple. It's off the ball. It's you know in pick and roll. It's at the rim. Okay. Well, let's try. Let's let's maybe try zone. Let's play a matchup zone. Let's press. Use our athletes. Like let let's try something else uh, before March comes around. And they're they just continue to get roasted across the board defensively. But um, 
my yeah so bad weekend another bad result for kentucky my my key takeaways are one i tweeted this out as a joke but texas a&m is, is the best team in the country when they make threes but uh which is not true but when they do make threes as you saw against tennessee that team is super dangerous they're going to be like an eight or nine now the problem is they still like they still can't defend elite, elite bigs. That would be a problem if you like if they got Purdue or UConn. But who's the the one that has to play Texas A and M? And if Radford and Taylor are making threes, they are just a pest, and they're going to get Anderson Garcia is going to get a million offensive rebounds. Um, but when they're actually making threes, that team is super dangerous. And on the other end of the spectrum, really disappointed in Colorado. I, I mean, one of the best spots of the, of the college basketball season, you get Arizona and altitude. It's already a tough, one of the hardest trips going from Utah. You get them off triple overtime. And they looked, they were outworked, out hustled. Um, so I was super dis, And that was a huge opportunity for Colorado, which I think if the season ended the day, they're probably an outside looking in. That team has way too much talent in that spot to come up that empty against Arizona, but credit to the Wildcats for that win. But let's, speaking of the bubble, let's talk about some buy and sell for teams on the bubble. Uh, Mike, you usually don't do this episode with us, but uh, Greg tends to buy teams high. He does it the opposite and sell low. So it was my favorite part of the week to see who Greg is buying. I'm expecting him. Well, it's tough with a bubble team. So uh, maybe I'll say, I'll try to guess. Greg is buying Florida, <laughs> Florida after their after they demolished Auburn. But uh, I'll, Greg, I'll start with you. Who uh, who are you buying? So Florida was the first team written down when I was researching this over the weekend. Uh, I did I did erase them, stuck because I got to keep you guessing. And for the record, I did it right for the first time last week, the all season, first time. I bought low, I sold high, I sold Dayton. They lose. I bought, uh, well, I guess Loyola Chicago was winning. I didn't buy low, but they keep winning. So I was two for yep. two last week as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this they covered week, twice too, Loyola. Yeah, somehow, some way. It's never pretty, but it's working for Drew Valentine. I'm, uh, I'm going to buy Seton Hall, which I think officially qualifies as buying extremely low after they just got destroyed by Villanova. Um, the, the whole thing with Seton Hall to me is, is Kadari Richmond healthy or not? Uh, to me, clearly not healthy right now. If he doesn't get healthy, they're cooked. I'm going to assume that he gets healthy by the end of this season. He was stellar, looking like a lock first-team All-Big East guy. He missed the two games that they lost to Providence and Marquette. He's returned. Since he's returned, he hasn't played 30 minutes in a basketball game. He was basically never coming off the floor before this. Every single game was like 36 minutes. Um, To me, that's the obvious outlier here. He's got a month to get right. The thing is, they're going to need some of these games. So he doesn't have two two weeks to sort of work his way back slowly. But I like the way their schedule opens up. Four of their last seven are at home. The three that are not at home are all marquee win opportunities on the road, which if you are a bubble team, sometimes that's actually what you want. It's counterintuitive to what fans sometimes think. It's like you just want an easy schedule. No, you want opportunities to boost your resume so that you can jump over other teams that aren't picking up quad one wins this late in the season. They go at St. John's, at Creighton, and at UConn. Outside of the four, they should win at home against none of the top Big East teams. If they can take care of business at home, steal one of those three on the road, go five and two to end the regular season, 
I think they're in the tournament for sure. Right now they're on the 12 line according to Bracket Matrix, but um, I still believe in this team. They're tough as nails. They defend their butts off, even though metrics don't say they're a great defense. Like They really can make things tough with all those guards, all the speed and athleticism they have on the perimeter. They just need Kadari Richmond healthy, and I really, really trust this team. Yeah, Seton Hall next uh, has Xavier at home on Wednesday, and Xavier was actually one of the teams I'm selling. Uh, so that matches up as a potential good spot for Seton Hall. Game should be around a pick. I, I mean, with uh, so I'll just touch on Xavier. I'll, I'll mention another sell later. But I, I think that, you know, I got to give Sean Miller a ton of credit for what he's done with this team. But I feel like they've just hit their their peak and they can't really do much. No Fremantle, no Hunter. I mean, they were expected to have both of them this year as potential all big East players and they're out for the season. They just rely on such tough shots. And, um, you know, if you look at their wins, their last three wins home against Villanova home against St. John's at DePaul before then home against Georgetown home against Butler. You know, they, so, I mean, I'm not really impressed with their wins. I think there's going to be some opportunities to fade them starting with Wednesday uh, against Seton Hall. So, uh, I'm on board with you there, but let me throw it to Mike. Randall, who are you looking to buy from the bubble? Yeah, I don't know if this is really a bubble team because of the win against North Carolina, but guys, I've been very cool on Clemson for most of the year, and I'm starting to come around. 14 seasons at Clemson for Brad Bromell, only three trips to the NCAA tournament. Last one was in 2021, and they lost in the first round. But I've watched this team now. They're very impressive. So I'm buying them as a team that can make the second weekend. Even though right now they're projected around a 7-8 seed, they are very dangerous in that 8-9 matchup. Rest of the season, Miami, NC State, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, Syracuse, all of which they're projected to win, and then Wake Forest away battle at the end. Right now they are 16-6, and six, just 6-6 six and six in the ACC. So yes, they beat North Carolina, they beat Syracuse on Saturday, no one noticed and no one cared. But this team has a fantastic big in P.J. Hall. They make their free throws. They're great on the offensive boards. Shifflin is one of the most underrated players in the country, just does everything that's winning plays. Joe Girard can make big threes, and he did so against North Carolina. So as much as Brad Bromell is not sexy, and no one thinks that Clemson is a team that can make a run, they have some really impressive matchups. And look at their metrics here. They are 29th in the net. They have 18th overall in strength of schedule. And they got four quad one wins. Now the loss that's brutal is the quad three loss where they lost at home to Georgia tech. So that's going to keep people off their sense. So not buying them stuck. I don't know against the rules to get in the NCAA tournament, but buying them as a team that can make a substantial run here. And no one really thinks anything about Clemson because they have no history in the NCAA tournament recently under Bromel. Yeah. As of right now, Clemson is, as a, a six seed, but uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll count it. I mean, what are we going to do? We can't scrap this from the audio, but I think it's a good team to bring up. You know, their la last three losses, Georgia Tech, you mentioned double overtime, Duke by one, one on point. a foul with yeah. one second left, and then Virginia by one. Mm -hmm. uh, the only, yeah, I worry a little bit of just about their their guards defensively and staying in front of other like elite guards is a bit problematic for me. But yeah, when P.J. Hall is on and, and – Think, think about it in league play. They're 13th in three-point percentage and three-point percentage against. So they have some potential looming regression, shooting regression on both ends as well. Uh, but let's uh, – I guess I got, I'll throw out my buy. I'm potentially buying – is this is this the low point of Miami? I know they have issues on defense. 
they haven't been healthy all year. They need George back. He didn't play on uh, Saturday against UNC where they covered. But I mentioned Miami just because, I, you know, when they're this is a team that made a run last year in the tournament, when they're fully healthy, and they're, the, they're on the outside looking into the bubble, but when they're fully healthy, I think they're dangerous, and they're going to be worth a look in the ACC, I think, as a flyer to win the ACC because it's Duke, UNC, but – you know, then it's 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 a double mess. Depending on what the draw looks like, Miami could be an intriguing option to play themselves in. I'm going to take a page out of Greg's book and also buy high uh, oh. on a team that want just beat back to back ranked opponents for the first time in program history. But uh, I'm buying Nevada. I their defense is trending up. If you look at all the advanced metrics, kind of bottomed out in that New Mexico game where I think they gave up 87. But with Blackshear and Lucas were tough shot makers. And then you have such versatility. I think Alfred has really gotten a handle of how he wants to use his lineup because they have such versatility. If you use KJ Himes, who will find a way to foul out, but give you 20 minutes of really good defense uh, on the interior, and you got a really stout defensive unit with him in there, or you can, can go with Davidson. And Davidson is playing so well of late. I think he's raised the ceiling of this team. But you can go, you know, when Himes is in foul trouble or you sit him, you go with Davidson at the five, and then you have, you know, a, a much more versatile and explosive offensive team. So I think as of right now, I think Nevada, they're right on the border. They're like the definition of a bubble team. But I think if they get in, they're a team, just because of their guard play, uh, that can cause some teams some trouble. But let's go to the other side and talk about teams, bubble teams that we're looking to sell. Greg, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it right. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Greg. You go. So I, uh, I'm going to do this right, calling it what it is. I'm selling high. I don't think you can get higher than Gonzaga after winning in Rupp Arena. Uh, I do not believe in this team. Uh, this win was impressive in result. It was impressive in eye test first half. They were great. They scored, I believe... Every possession in the final 12 and a half minutes, except for four, Gonzaga scored the basketball in this game and they still almost lost. Like that, that's a Kentucky game through and through. Kentucky has the ball with a chance to tie or win uh, with 20 seconds left. We all saw what happened. We know Cal's history with, uh, as Randall correctly alluded to, he's not a tactician, he's a rah rah guy. I still don't believe this Gonzaga team is anything special. I was almost more frustrated with the fact that they were letting Kentucky hang around. I mean, they have the double-digit lead at halftime, and before you can even snap your fingers, Kentucky's up six in the second half. Uh, the Zags still are one in five against top 60 opponents this year. That's not changing. And at the end of the season, they go at San Francisco and at St. Mary's. I think a lot of people – are incorrectly assuming that Gonzaga is safely in the field now. They are still outside of the bubble, according to Bracket Matrix. We'll see what all the updates look like this week. But if they lose one of those two to end the season, they're not going to be in the field coming into the West Coast Conference Tournament. And if they go head-to-head against St. Mary's for a conference tournament championship, I strongly believe St. Mary's is the better team. 
Like not just because of the result, the first game at the kennel, uh, St. Mary's is just playing significantly better, more consistent. You know, you can trust that defense night in and night out right now. You know, you can trust Aiden Mahaney on the offensive end. I don't trust a thing about Gonzaga other than that. They have enough firepower to blow out the worst teams on their schedule and give them credit for the desperation spot at Kentucky. To me, once again, boys, it was more about who Kentucky is than anything impressive that Gonzaga did in that win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, um, that win did nothing to. I kind of just made me question Kentucky more. Maybe Kentucky is Kentucky. Well, Kentucky, if Kentucky takes a couple more losses, we might be talking about them on the bubble for what it's worth. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of this Gonzaga team, even though they're 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 improving a bit. But uh, I still don't think that they're a threat to do any damage if they even get in. Uh, by the way, and I mentioned Xavier before. This is – I don't have anything really bad to say about this team, but Washington State, who I think would be in the field as of right now, just from a pure market perspective, I think that they're probably at the peak of their value. I mean, they've won, what, seven of eight. They have a couple games where they're going to be – this team that's not great from the line, which could matter as bigger favorites coming up before they play Arizona. And if they take care of business, that game could be for the Pac-12 regular season title. Um, so it might be, there might be – you know, in the next couple of games might get a little bit of inflated numbers with Washington State, uh, who, I mean, you talk about who they were supposed to have and who they ended up having, Kyle Smith, uh, potential coach of the year in my eyes. But Randall, where are you going for a potential sell of a bubble team? Yeah, in the Mountain West, guys, I think that New Mexico is still very overvalued. If you look at this team, New Mexico, they are number 22 in the net. But their strength of schedule is 116 and a gaudy 266 non-conference strength of schedule. So as much as we talked about the guards weren't healthy and they had some big wins at home, I still don't know if they're one of the top teams in the Mountain West. So I don't know how many of the Mountain West is getting in, but I think New Mexico would be on the other side here. They've lost two of their last three, but now they go away to Nevada tomorrow, then away to San Diego State. So they could very quickly just be seven and six in the Mountain West. So enough of this six bids from the Mountain West. I think San, I think you're looking at New Mexico being in some serious trouble. And of course, they had the catastrophic loss at home to UNLV. That is a quad three loss. So this team, if you look at their metrics here, New Mexico, two and two against quad one, two and two against quad two, six and one against quad three. Their non-conference really wasn't impressive. So right now, I believe Stucky could correct me. New Mexico is looking at like a 10 seed, something like that. My prediction now is they do not make the NCAA tournament because I think teams like Utah State, Nevada, San Diego State are all better than them and are going to beat them. They're going to need a big run in the Mountain West tournament to even talk about making the NCAA tournament because they don't have the resume as much as we love Patino and they've had some gaudy wins scoring 99 points at home against Utah State. I think they're a little overvalued. I'm going to sell them. Yeah, New Mexico, I think, is safely in as of right now. I think they're probably like a seven or eight. But they could play themselves out, uh, and you could get some cannibalization. I, I still question their – I have questions about their defense. If they're not turning teams over, and that's why I, I'm, I'm looking to buy Nevada again at home. Nevada doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, and then they'll be able to score on this Mexico team that just – that. You know, swept by UNLV, which could end up costing them if uh, they suffer a, a few more losses here down the stretch. Yeah, and stuck their their road wins this year away from home. Road wins, true road wins. New Mexico State, Air Force, San Jose State, and Wyoming. Those are the only substantial losses they had away from home, besides neutral, of course. Which Toledo, Rice, Pepperdine. It is what it is. Yep. 
And yeah, I think that if, if Nevada win beats New Mexico, then as if the season ended, then Nevada beats New Mexico tomorrow and the season ended Wednesday, I think the mountain West would have six teams in, but there's a couple that could certainly play their way out. Nevada is trending up, but they, that loss to Wyoming could, could end up hurting them in the end, but they're definitely trending up and, New Mexico, yeah, there's just defensive issues if they don't turn other teams over. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Terms conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But let's talk about why most of you are listening, and that's some early week looks. You go Monday, Tuesday. If you want to even mention something on Wednesday, feel free to do so. But Greg, what are you looking at for the early week? I'm going to go to a play tonight, and there's some questions with this one, but I feel confident enough to make a guess at what to suspect. I'm going Texas Tech minus two and a half at home against Kansas. Uh, Tech's 12 and one at home. The questions I'm referring to are Kansas's injury situation. Dewan Harris suffered an injury against Baylor. It didn't look great. Uh, Bill Self with some very ominous quotes after the game both about Harris and Kevin McCuller, who was scratched an hour before the Baylor game over the weekend. Uh, about Kevin McCuller, he said, I can't imagine he'll be much better Monday if he could barely move today. Self also alluded to the fact that the game plan against Baylor was to play extremely slow. That's not normal for Kansas when they are at full strength. They like to get up and run. They're 106th in tempo uh, over the course of the season. Against Baylor, I mean, that was a 64-61 ball game. They wanted to limit possessions because they had to play Nick Timberlake 31 minutes, boys. Nick Timberlake, who, oh, by the way, gave up two wide-open threes and missed a front end in the final minute to try to give this game away. Uh, I think Kansas is legitimately banged up. I would guess Harris tries to play through whatever his stuff is. And McCuller, I would be surprised if he goes tonight. Regardless, I don't think we're going to see 35 minutes from either of those guys on the road against a Tech team that really needs a marquee win to to boost their seed situation right now. And they love playing slow. If Bill South's going to slow it down again, that plays right into the way Texas Tech plays. I'll take minus two and a half. And I think that line, honestly, for for it being there, to me, tells me these are true game time decisions. If one of them are out, I think there's a lot of value on the Red Raiders. Yeah, I agree. I played this as well. I think that there's a chance both of them are out. Quick turnaround. You know, Kansas safely in the tournament. It's like, do you want to risk 
further injury. It's like to get these guys healthy on a quick turnaround. And this isn't this Kansas team doesn't have great depth as it is. You take McCullough out there, who's great on defense, gives you shooting, can create. And then say you take Harris out, then like you're getting Timberlake and then El, El Marco Jackson's got to play point, right? He's got he's been he's got like a 28, 30% turnover rate. I mean, Dewan Harris does so much for that team. So if him and McCullough are out, yeah, this line's way too short. Randall, what are you looking at for early week? I give Josh Eilert a lot of credit. He came into an impossible situation at West Virginia with Bob Huggins, and this team competed early. Uh, but, folks, if you look at their schedule, find me the win they had away from home. Oh, you cannot. They are 8-15. and 15, They are 3-7 <laughs> and seven in the Big 12. Now they're going to TCU, who needs this game in the worst way. The line's around 12. I do not care. West Virginia plays at a very fast pace. They don't rebound the ball. They can't score. They can't make free throws. And they've been struggling on the road. TCU coming off of two losses. Needs this game 16-7, and 5-5. Five and five. I think they get the win. I'm not worried about a backdoor cover here. I think TCU wins soundly with their pace, gets up and down the floor, scores, and hits some threes, which they've been able to do, shooting 39.6% in Big 12 play. So I'll take TCU here big over West Virginia tonight. Yeah, West Virginia per synergy, 12th percentile in transition defense efficiency. That's bad against TCU. Very, very bad. Who wants to get out and run as much as humanly possible uh i i agree greg i for monday night i agreed with you tonight on texas tech i'll also throw out well I, and i also mentioned nevada tomorrow night uh they don't turn the ball over and i think at home where they've been so good against new mexico they're going to be able to score and uh, i think they match up pretty well with the lobos i'll be looking to buy them at a game hopefully around a pick um and let's I'm actually buying Florida as a, a threat in the tournament, but they might be a little bit too overvalued after their huge win over Auburn against LSU. LSU can turn Florida over. Florida is not looking to shoot a ton of threes, which is really how you beat LSU's aggressive defense. And LSU can compete on the glass here, defend near the rim. So I think we might get a bit of a deflated number and a, a pretty bad spot for Florida. But I do like where Todd Golden has his team going. And uh, they they do have a ton of potential to be you know, if they keep improving. They could be scary and ma- make a, you know, at least just a second weekend in March. Uh, Greg, what else you got for early week? I'm going to go back to my Big Ten territory. One of the teams I alluded to being frustrated with this morning. I'm going with Illinois minus whatever the number is against Michigan on Tuesday. Uh, I like an alternate line. I like whatever you need. This Michigan team is absolutely dead, boys. Without Doug McDaniel on the road, that strange academic suspension, they simply have no answers. They went on the road to Nebraska, a Nebraska team who, mind you, was coming off of uh, some emotional losses to Illinois and Northwestern last week and Nebraska steamrolled them. I mean, it was 25, nine, 10 minutes into this game. They had a 30 point lead in the first half while Jalen Llewellyn, the 24 year old who plays in a bionic leg brace, uh, it just has no answers. I feel bad for the players on Michigan at this point that they're put in this situation, 
but they're not playing for anything. They know the season's over. Half these guys were leased for six months. Illinois still is very much playing for seeding, playing for serious things. They believe in their minds they can still work their way into that final game of the season at home against Purdue and have that mean something. They're a couple games back in the loss column, but Illinois is undefeated off of a loss this year. They've always bounced back with good performances. Brad Underwood owns Juwan Howard. I believe he's won eight straight in the series, many of them ugly whenever they've had the clear better team. It's gotten gross. Um, I think Illinois wins this game in a let off some frustrations type performance by 20 plus. I'd be shocked. Uh, Ken Palm has the number at 14 for what it's worth. I would guess, honestly, it opens at like 15 or 16, which is going to seem huge, but much like the Purdue Indiana game, when a team's overmatched, don't sweat it. Illinois will be way too much for Michigan. You've had a, a good pulse uh, on this Michigan team, especially away from home. And if Michigan somehow is up at the half, because they're like sometimes this incredible first half team, and then they just completely <laughs> melt in the second half. I think you had Michigan State against them, right? And the Michigan State was down at the half and then just obliterated them in the second half. Brandon, you got anything else for the early week? Shout out to Trading Places, the movie from the 80s with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. I am buying Wisconsin here, having lost four games in a row. Now returning home against Ohio State. Now is the time to get on the train. You have an Ohio State team that is 8-15-1 against the spread. They are 1-5 on the road. Remember, as much as Wisconsin has struggled this year, look at their home battles. It was Purdue at home, no shame there. Beat Michigan State by 15. Beat Indiana, hung 91. Beat Northwestern by 8. Beat Nebraska by 16. Beat Iowa by 11. They're very good at home. This is a desperation spot. Chris Holtman has struggled. He's had the nice win in double overtime. That's fantastic. I think Wisconsin bounces back here. Love them on the first half line, whatever it is. Ken Palm has it around 9. I think think, uh, Wisconsin beats Ohio State by double digits on Tuesday. Bounces back and gets right here. Yeah, pretty good spot. And if you had Maryland, by the way, against Ohio State <laughs> on Saturday, ooh, I mean, I don't know how many free throws they missed to put the, to seal that game, and then it goes to double overtime. They had a couple shots to win the game. It goes to double overtime, and there's a dunk, uh, and they lose by four. Uh, overtime losses in college basketball can be so brutal. Uh, I'll mention one for tomorrow. Curious, Greg, I'll curious to get your thoughts on this, but Cincinnati at home, this win, I think they win this game – They'd be in the tournament at the season end of today. Just a massive game for them. Their losses lately, they lost by four at Oklahoma, five at Kansas. They lost by four at West Virginia, five at home to Houston. They lost by three at Baylor, one to to Texas. They've been so close in a number of these games. They do a lot of the, you know, they do all of the peripheral things well. They can rebound. They take care of the ball. They play, they play really hard. They just got C.J. Frederick back. They could use his shooting. You know, he wasn't really ready to go. I think he only played like two or three minutes against Houston. But I'm expecting his usage to ramp up a little bit more. And they've been – they're not a great shooting team, but they've been running a little bad in conference play. So you could see some positive regression there. But Iowa State here going to Cincinnati, not an easy place to play. They just beat Texas and TCU. They have Texas Tech and Houston coming up, which could decide – go a long way in deciding – the Big 12 race, so potential little sleepy spot for Iowa State. Cincinnati wants to run a lot, and you have to get out and transition against this Iowa State team when you can, so they can rebound, get out and run, because the Iowa State half-court defense is a menace. And this half, this Iowa State offense, particularly on the road, still will go through 
long drought. So I think this is a good spot to back the Bearcats. Do you have any feel there, Greg? So it's probably a stay away for me. I agree with you on the spot. It, it All signs point to Cincinnati, right? Desperate team at this point in the season for a resume win is always something to look for. Uh, that said, I think Iowa State is very legitimate uh, on a national level. Like this is an elite defense with an elite point guard. They've got one of the best freshmen in the country and Momchilovich. Like it's kind of all coming together for Ots here. Um, and you go through like the, the, the way to summarize this broadly for both teams to me is like Cincinnati just hasn't gotten over the hump against the, the cutoff line in the big 12. If you draw a line halfway through the conference of the upper echelon of talented teams and then the lower echelon, like their wins are UCF, Texas tech and TCU. TCU is probably right around the cutoff. Anytime they've played a Kansas, a Houston, an Oklahoma, a Baylor, they've lost those games. BYU is the one that bucks that trend for Cincinnati on the season. Iowa State's been the flip side of that, and they have some great wins as well. Don't get me wrong, but anytime Iowa State has played a a lower-tier team in the Big 12, they've taken care of business, even if it hasn't been pretty. So spot says Cincinnati. Rain kind of says Iowa State for me here, depending on what the number is, probably a stay away. I love, by the way, I love watching Jizzle James for Cincinnati. He's going to be a player. He's electric to watch. All right. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me. Thanks to our producer, Matt Mitchell, on the back end. Uh, our other producer, David, is on vacation. Hope you enjoy your vacation, David. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like, subscribe button. Also, make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Wherever you listen to Big Bets on Campus and leave a review, five-star review, you can say whatever. I'll do some giveaways in uh, another week or two. So uh, if you have a chance, those really help us out. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. But thanks for tuning in. Good luck on all of your wagers this week. Guys from Three Man Weave will be back on Wednesday as always. And then we'll be back later in the week for the weekend college basketball betting preview. And then 10.30 a.m. Eastern every Saturday, Big Bets on Campus live. Make sure you check us out there on X. But thanks for tuning in. Good luck with all of your wagers. And we'll see you later in the week. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.